0: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Oystein Wagen. Uh, I'm an equity research analyst at Fernley Securities, and I would like to welcome you to links shipping sector webinar series. In this series, uh, we have the opportunity to delve into the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities shape- shaping the shipping sector. And today's webinar will be focusing on crude and product tanker segments. With us today, we have Mr. Paolo Damico, chairman and CEO of Damico International Shipping. And Mr. Damico is also the current chairman of Intertanko. We have Mr. Lars Bashta, CEO of Frontline Management. We have Ms. Lois Sabroki, CEO of International Seaways. We have Mr. Ted Petrone, Vice Chairman of Navios Maritime Partners and Uh, Lastly, but not least, Dr. Niklas Tsakos, CEO and founder of Tsakos and Navigation. There he is. (laughs) So so, um, just this opening slide, which will show up on your screen, um, contains some information as to where each company is listed and the different ticker symbols. This webinar webinar, uh, will consist of a roundtable discussion with the Uh, panelists I just uh, mentioned, Um, and it will last for roughly one hour in total with 45 minutes allocated to panel discussion and the last 15 minutes uh, for a Q&A session. So for that Q&A session, panelists or sorry, participants and listeners can submit their questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, and we will go through as many of these as we can. Please also note that Capitalink will be conducting three polls, polls during the webinar, uh, which will be strictly used for informational and educational purposes.
1: We don't s- don't poll who's the better looking one because, of, <laughs> of course, uh, we are we are in a very bad competition here. We give up. Paolo wins hands down. Bravo,
0: <laughs> But but before <laughs> before we begin our call, uh, please note that this discussion is strictly informational and for educational purposes and should not be relied upon. The webinar does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment advice, or advice of any kind, and Capital Link bears no responsibility for the content. And then in, fer- in terms of further disclosure, link is the investor relations advisor to several of the participation part, participating companies here at this webinar and also myself at Fernie securities do cover several of the listed shipping companies included in today's webinar so with that out of the way I think we can start off and you know just before kicking off today's webinar it's important to to kind of see where we are in both the crude and product segments, you know, just to give some short and very short background to to where we are, you know, following an impressive second half of 2022 where spot rates for uh, product tankers went to all-time highs crude went to near all-time highs. 2023 has been impressively strong as well. And at the moment rates are holding very, very strong levels particularly on the product anchor side, maybe, now that we're heading out of refinery season. And this has obviously also been reflected in equity pricing. Uh, If you just bunch all the market caps for the panelists here today, they are up over 260% since the start of 2022, or over the last 24 months alone. So, where are we now, and, and you know, where are we going this winter? I think we can start off with the question maybe to, to Lois. As you have a mixed fleet of both crude and uh, product tankers, uh, could you just tell us where we are now in terms of rates and um the difference between crude and product tanker rates at the moment? Are we already at you know the winter seasonal highs, or, or do you think there's still some more leg to go uh, this winter season? You
2: know. If- Starting with the uh, smaller ships and, you know, really, you know, we've got over 30 MRs on the spot market at present, and the rates are just very, very strong. You're, you're, with a fleet of that size and participating in a pool, you know, you're both east and west, but, you know, with the west just being particularly strong with diesel under uh, high demand and really pulling, uh, and the east rates starting to improve to follow that, we're seeing, you know, if we see these rates, of we don't need uh, more on the MRs, you know, we're, we're earning extremely well, right? So um, steady as she goes there, it's it's just, I, I looked at, uh, you know, what we booked in the quarter to date, and I was like, oh, um, and I heard myself say, wow, that should be even higher, you know, and, and I thought, wow, you know, Lois, come on, you know, when you see MR rates for a period of Soon to be two years at $30,000 per day plus. That is just incredibly strong across the board. And then when we go up to the uh, middle part of our fleet, you know, we've got Panamaxis, Aframaxis, and Suez Maxis, as well as these. The mid part of the fleet is earning as well as the VLCCs are. And it, it just really helps to have a, a balanced fleet at the moment. The Vs uh, have added a, a to their rates as well. And then we've seen strong Suez Max and Aframax and Panamax rates. So, you know, we will post a strong fourth quarter as I'm, I'm sure uh, the the rest of the panelists here um, w- will feel as well. But for us having the, the diversified fleet, um, you know, as uh, most of us do on the call, you know, it, it really has proven itself in this environment where, Inventories are still tight, and markets are tight, and small movements cause a big response in rates.
0: Thank you, Lois. And as you say, several of the panelists there—they do have a mixed fleet. Uh, so maybe if I kick the next question over to Paulo, uh, mm-hmm. more pr- product anchor focused, obviously. Um, do, do you foresee any, you know, different? Call it rate dynamics between the product and the crude space in the short term. Now that you know we are in, or going out of uh, refinery maintenance season, does that mean maybe that you'll see more locally produced crude oil going into local refineries and seeing more product product on the water in the short term, or, or is there something else happening in the market at the moment?
3: Uh, first of all, I I totally agree with Lois. I mean she. She did a fantastic opening, and I thank her very much. Uh, we we are certainly enjoying a very strong market, and and uh, I I don't really know the dynamics between the, the clean and the dirty. I'm so much in clean that, I, but what uh, what we will see is that, to my mind, we are at the starting point of a winter market because. We had the maintenance over October of the refineries, and uh, I don't know uh, about you, but at least up to uh, here in Italy, the, the, the climate has been very mild up to last weekend. So we are start suffering the cold only now. So there are elements to make us thinking that the market in front of us, at least for the winter season has really still, to start, and as Lois said, we are running at thirty thousand dollar a day. So, uh, I think the expectation are quite uh, are quite positive. We have to say, let's say, on the dark side of a coin, that yes, there is uh, some economic slowdown. Of course, we cannot. We have to admit that. But for a matter of ton miles, for a matter of positioning. of uh, of the fleet for the factor that uh, Panama Canal basically for product carriers are uh, not possible because it's totally monopolized by the container people. Uh, And this is creating uh, really uh, the fundamental for a strong market to come. So I'm extremely positive about that. And we are seeing as far as refining locally or in distance, but we are seeing now, a lot of these are coming out of India, coming to Europe. So these are long and long trips and will uh, and will absorb a lot of LR2s and LR1s.
0: Understood. And you know, with that you know, in mind, maybe that we still have the, call it the, the seasonal high in terms of freight rates still ahead of us. Uh, maybe I'll kick the next question over to Lars. You guys in Frontline have, recently uh, or you're, you're growing the fleet you know it's going to be a massive fleet now that you get 24 VLCCs uh from Euronav throughout the quarter the big big call it or one of the big factors there would potentially be a reversal of OPEC cuts now the meeting has been delayed uh, today there was more news that it might be delayed further and um, what are you guys view on call it the Oil market balance at the moment. Can we or do you guys expect uh, some kind of revo- re- reversal in the short term, or is, or is that now more of a twenty twenty four story? Do you think?
4: Oh, it's uh, it's obviously very hard to to uh, to guess. I must say uh, because it's I think it's a high stakes uh, political game that's being played around OPEC right now. Um, but they have been kind of fairly well coordinated to try and achieve oil prices in the region where we are right now um i don't expect any fireworks to be quite honest uh, i think they will probably maintain the cuts at the levels where they are uh but obviously you know who knows uh i think uh, the the opec story is, is a bit of a twofold one so so one is obviously more volume in the market will depress the 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 oil price but also increase so and so basically lower our fuel cost, but but also increase the overall volume. But we kind of like the Tomal effect we've seen of uh, particularly Saudi, uh, being kind of one of the most generous uh, cutters, uh, in this uh, kind of game, uh, which which has allowed uh, kind of us to transport oil from all the way from uh, from US and and Brazil and and the Atlantic Basin. So so I'm not uh, you know like when. Uh, Saudi decided uh, on their kind of voluntary cut um, and Russia uh, followed on their exports Um, you know, although the headline was seemingly negative, it actually proved to be positive for the bigger tankers and we are, incidentally, if you ignore the MRs uh, we are incidentally now in a more normalized market where the wheels are actually the, uh, you know, earning the most Uh, and then SUSMAX in the middle and the lr 2s hovering uh, thousand dollars a day so uh so it's um um so, so i i like to say that this is more like a normalized market uh and and again on your question i'm you know who knows what opec will do but i i, I kind of might my, my, the likely scenario is that we won't have too much fireworks uh coming from them.
0: understood and and does that mean would you say you still have potential for for higher vlcc rates throughout this Call it winter season, or or, or is it uh, more peak, yes. peakish compared to products?
4: No, no, I I I think you know we kind of the market is fairly firm as as we speak, and it's actually very very active. Uh, what I'm more worried about is the pricing power we actually have in this market because uh, it seems like uh, most people are uh, you know sufficiently uh, kind of content with uh, earning sixty sixty five thousand dollars per day um and uh and you know middle east uh, as a loading region uh, has historically been kind of the the you know the price uh discovery place for for freight uh regretfully there is so few spot cargos there um right now it's uh, it's all kind of uh, either being lifted by coas it's uh kind of uh you know actors that don't necessarily have the same motivation to get freight rates up as as we as a pure owner would do and uh, so it's kind of lost a little bit of its power as the pricing center for vlcc freight which means that uh, you know we need to to rely on us gulf brazil and west africa to actually price uh, freight but I, I i must say just uh you know we're, we're actually a little bit disappointed that uh, with the amount of business and with the amount of volume being uh, being done right now that we're actually not to Move the market uh, firmer.
0: Mm. Okay, understood. And if I if I switch gears a bit and move over to, I you know, this question can actually go to both Nicholas and Ted. Um, which you know, you guys have more quote, diversified fleets, and uh, are you guys looking to given be, well before we step into the supply side of this space, which is why everyone's bullish on on uh, on the story here. But, given where demand is now both in the short term and longer term are you looking to increase your tanker exposure relative to other segments if we start off with uh, nichols for example
1: well we are not yet uh, as diversified as that Uh, although there are members of our board of directors that consider coal as energy, so they would like us to get into the dry cargo sphere. Which, uh, of course, this is uh, something we, we might consider. So we are very diversified. That, like the previous companies, who you know do anything from VLCCs down to um, uh, to MRs, and uh, you know including uh, half a dozen shuttle tankers, uh, <clears throat> mainly Swissmaxis, Aframaxis, and uh, surprisingly even Panamaxis. That a few companies uh, still order or, or or operate, so we are diversified on the energy sector, including, of course, <clears throat> the LNG side. Yes, we are feeling. I feel that the market has legs. We are uh, uh, looking to renew our fleet. Uh, in the first part of the year, we sold up to ten of our oldest, first generation. Uh, Vessels, uh, The majority of the ships we operate, and I'm sure like most of our peer group, we have, we have built for our own use, uh, in, in mainly in Korea and Japan. Uh, so it was a nice surprise to be able to have a, a hefty capital gain by reducing um, our, our first generation uh, ice class vessels and uh, selling them almost at the same price we built them uh, 15 years ago. Uh, and uh, we're looking to replace yes i mean we will maintain we have already ordered um, uh, at least four of those ships as replacement we're building suez maxis uh, shuttle tankers so we're very committed to to our business and we're looking at opportunities if they exist in the second in this uh, modern dual fuel second hand uh, price so yes so, i mean we are committed uh, like uh, the other the others in the peer group in the business uh, and uh, I think, um, you know, it's a good time to take advantage and renew uh, our fleets. But, uh, but uh, you know, we've been around for 30 years as a public company, and we do, we do not think, uh, uh, and we will continue doing so.
5: Understood. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, well, we have a diversified fleet in containers and dry, but that's not in question today. Our diversification is, like like others uh, between the crude and the product. We came in through the crude, uh, but we uh, were drawn into the product for a macro trend that's been starting for many years, decades actually, is this ton mile issue, which has now been exasperated. So I think we've sold seven tankers and we've, we've taken on 10 new buildings, some LRs, some MRs, um, LR2s. Um, we've been able to, you know, it's amazing uh, are there rates coming? I think so. i think I think some of the, as we'd say the shorts, the uh, uh, energy majors, the uh, major oil traders, we've been able to take some new buildings at obviously some high prices, but able to put them out um, at well above twenty year averages for five years out. and that's happening across the board as as, as you can see in the industry. Uh, everybody sees the numbers going forward. Um, certainly uh, on the product tank there's a little bit more order book, but um, when you take an overage, boy, on the, on the crude side, especially on the Vs, um, you know, if you have a utilization rate of, I don't know, 30% on ships that are over 18 years of age, you, you, the Vs are going to have to, the crew is going to have to follow the products in terms of going over those five-year averages going forward for new buildings to go, to, to come in. And I think we're there to do deals if the deals make sense. You can do deals in any part of the market as long as you're smart about it. But um, it's higher for longer here across the board.
0: Yeah, and and that kind of like, if we if we following up on that, obviously talking about the supply side, which is much easier to analyze uh, than the demand mm-hmm. side in in this market. Um, it's fair, probably fair to say that the tanker segments, both crude and product, uh, you know, considering trickle down economics between the segments, etc., has never. Really had a better backdrop here. You know, typically you only talk about shipping cycles in these commodity-related segments being up to two years because you can basically build the segment to death, right? Do, do, looking at you know phase out capacity and all this stuff, how long does anyone here, you know, tend to look at this potential upcycle for how long? For how many years? I guess this was an open question to anyone who wants to answer
4: just uh i'll just jump in there and i'm just looking at the firmly Zone numbers the two two points i want to make one one thing is uh you know we, we're we're having some uh kind of uh ordering and some activity and some new buildings coming both on the on the you know speaking of the asset classes that we're exposed to on the lr2s and, and on the Susmaxes, maxes but absolutely very little happening on the VLCC side. And, and, I think, think uh, number one, uh, speaking of the LR2s and speaking of the clean market, I'm, I'm kind of, as Paolo alluded to, you know, this long tonne miles, and Ted was also kind of, uh, you know, uh, having the same point on this tonne mile story. What's going to be very interesting going forward for the next six months is that we virtually have no VLCCs, com- new buildings coming into the market. So we have uh, like two VLCCs and five maxes throughout 2024. And we all know what these guys do when they come out of the yard. It, same with our our own ships when they came out last year. They they do diesel uh, to the west. So it's going to be very interesting to see this winter season kind of how that uh, uh, you know how that market will react. With regards to the longevity of it, you know we have yet to see, uh, or maybe inform me if I'm I haven't kind of caught it, but we haven't really seen a Korean uh, you know large tanker order for 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 ages. Uh, it's uh, it's China and potentially some uh, Japanese yards that can do that, but you know we we're almost stopped talking about 26 now, and now we're talking 27. So obviously you will have births that are available here and there in 26, but to, to do any kind of significant change to the supply side picture here, uh, we we're talking uh, late part of 26 and 27
0: yeah and you just add on that point right that that's that could really become a big problem down the line right because i think now you have to pay you have to wait until 26 27 for a vlcc and for a korean japanese you pay 125 130 million dollars and then you probably have to pay i don't know you guys know this better than me but 10 to 15 percent on signing right and then you know with interest costs where they are and you have three to four years lead time on that asset that's hindering shipping but How much would you guys say propulsion uncertainty and, you know, 25-year lifetime post-2027 is going into that equation as well and further hindering shipping? Is propulsion a big, you know, uncertainty when you're going out to order a ship compared to these segments such as containers and car carriers where you're closer to the end consumer? Is this a big thing here as well? Hindering ordering? Because maybe as you're here?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, for, for us, it it is a, a significant uh, deterrent of ordering ships. Uh, we have traditionally ordered m- mostly ships uh, either for replacement or with long-term charters. Uh, we we are working on uh, dual fuels, and we have ordered dual fuels vessels with coverage of, uh, with quite a long coverage period in order for us to be able to. Uh, to achieve this, so I think it is a big deterrent. If if that was not around, I think uh, the Chinese yards would, would be you know, putting uh, vessels into the market in the VLs uh, from the VLs always uh, always downward. So, so I think for us it is very very uh, it, it is a, a deterrent. And I think uh, it was proven that the market can move quickly. Uh, going back to the double double design, when when uh, the double double design was actually officially implemented. After uh, the open 90, uh, the owners, uh, you know, build and finally overbuild. I think this will happen, and because history is sometimes uh, repeats itself, uh, I am worried. The last crash we had was in 1929. Perhaps 2029 would be when uh, we have to be careful. For
2: <laughs> well, uh, I would say every one of us, you know, when we contemplate new building uh, contracts, we have to make that project bear the cost of, you know, either dual fuel now, dual fuel later, what does that look like, maximum flexibility, and of course, overlaid with what is the total uh, projected consumption curve, you know? So, you know, the later you're getting a vessel, the further you are into, uh, you know, okay, plus 25 years uh, on that vessel's life. So, you know, we move oil with oil, and so we, by definition, have an additional existential factor that has to get overlaid into um, our business. And you know, hopefully, we're at um, maximum tanker supply today. Yeah,
5: I agree uh, I, yeah. 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 Go ahead. No, I, I agree. I think uh, I, the honest answer is, I am always saved this from ourselves. the The, the book, the book may have been doubled without it. But I agree. I mean, the dual fuel seems to be uh, with LNG is is the um, intermediate fuel. Find out what the next fuel is. It's going to be a combination of a a number of things, I think, going forward. But for now, um, I don't I don't see anybody putting in some big orders at this point. I mean, you know, regulatory issues and financial environment is very different than it was a few years ago. That in itself is also a deterrent.
4: But, uh, just to add one point to that because uh, and, and some of you uh you know are exposed to these asset classes the thing is that in the tanker space apart from a very very few uh there is none of our clients are really willing to pay for uh this uh, technology uh I think kind of for the container business you know say Nike they're willing and they can actually get paid uh in one way or another for for having kind of the green shimmer on the sneakers that are sent from China, we see on the car producers that uh, in the car carrying industry, uh, you know, you, you you basically you're bound to look at a more efficient uh, propulsion because you know they, they need to kind of stamp their their cars in that way. Uh, so so, but in the in our industry, you know, transporting hydrocarbons, you don't really have any clients that that are willing to, at least not yet, that are willing to to pay you the increment uh, in, you know, to, to to make sense of the investment the owner needs to make.
2: Yep. You know, Lars, as, as we age in place with, with the existing fleet in the world, then that could get interesting.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I did some, some. if you do some simple, you know, back of the envelope math, I did before the seminar, if you just look, because it, it, this is my point, you know, you're all saying you're never going to order ships at these prices, or ne- never say never, but not at the, at the moment at least, with these prices and where rates are, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the global tanker fleet um, and how much, you know, and you take into account that typically they're scrapped when they're around plus or minus 25 years old. If you look into 2027, which is basically the next year, assuming everything goes into tankers, you can build the market to death, so to say, uh, obviously very positive, that's in four years time. Um, But let's say we go there and that's where you have open yard slots, over or roughly 7% of the fleet will be over 25 years old. So that basically removes the entire, call it uh, roughly 5% order book today, just for renewal. And then, if you go into 2030, right, you have a 20% of the fleet being over 25 years old, or just shy of 20%. So, you know, it does the and and then you combine combine that with that absolute oil demand is expected to grow. Ton miles is supposed expected to be positive. Overall, this leaves a very you know positive backdrop for the tanker space and having ships on the water today. But is do we have to go to a place where Ships have to stay longer than 25 years or 25 years to be able to accommodate demand, or is that not happening due to regulations coming as well?
4: Well, I think you're already, uh, you know, first of all, the reference to to 25 years is, uh, you know, it's basically because you did, you know, when I saw your email, I checked. and. It was like one ship scrapped <laughs> <laughs> this year. So I mean, it was 25 years old because it's been trading Iranian crude. Uh, but uh, so I, I would actually put it much closer to 20 years, to be quite honest. I think kind of in, in the normal uh, scrapping year where you have some liquidity, it's around 21 and a half years or something. But uh, also the threshold right now, at least in the tanking business for crude is 20 years. That's, you know, any ship above 20 years is very hard to get fixed. On the clean side, if you have a kind of high-grade refined products, you're actually talking about 15 years. So it's it's okay. um, so 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 kind of the the, the picture looks even in worse than than what you're describing, right? But I absolutely think that if we should believe in oil demand continuing to grow as as some do, um, you know, well into 2035, uh, we will need to trade the ships longer. Uh, but in order to do that, uh it needs to be economically feasible to do so and obviously at uh, 50 dollars dollars a day you don't really have that many incentives to spend a lot of money to extend say the lifetime of a vessel with two and
1: a half years uh you know rates needs to be a little bit higher than that i think just just to to jump in and say that uh, <clears throat> there are a lot of good and i, and I agree with uh, the time span that you have described And and there are a lot of good quality vessels uh, that have been built during the last uh, building, you know, new building boom, which was between 2005 and 2010 when, you know, I think we overbuilt the market. And those were good quality double-double ships that uh, can prolong uh, operationally for at least another couple of years. And I always get uh, pleasantly surprised when I visit, and I try to visit, uh, vessels at least uh, on a, on a monthly basis to see you know those ships that are already 15 years old and uh, they look and i'm sure i'm i'm sure the whole peer group that is here is operating in the same level vessels that uh, could have been out of the yard just um, you know a couple of years and they're 15 years old so there are good quality ships built in, uh, in amazing yards at the time uh, you know between 2000 when we overbuilt the market i, I guess it's too there's six years between 2004 and 2010, I think we we all overbuilt the market in amazing yards in Korea. Uh, very little uh, Chinese uh, content at that at that period of time, and Japan. So those ships are out there, and they can prolong for another couple of years.
5: Plus, plus, you know, we're down about fifty percent in terms of yards capacity right now. Thank now, now, yeah, that's right. Um, um, it may jump up. It may go up a little bit. I mean, you see some yards open, but I mean, who's going to be taking VLCC uh, from a yard that's just come about? And I don't see that. Remember, even without scrapping, uh, CII, EXI, all those other alphabet letters are going to slow down the fleet. They're going to do retrofitting. So you're still stretching the fleet even without scrapping. And so I, I agree with large. I think the numbers just aren't there yet on on the crude side. Um, to get these longer term deals. But I mean, it's happening on the product side. You're well over 20 year averages. The 20 year average for the V's from the time charters is probably around 40 and you're gonna have to go well above that. I mean, it's a different environment for now. It, it's, it's not the time is different, but it's it's gonna, You know, we're going from a short horizon to a longer horizon at any bull market uh, climbs a wall of woe. And I think people outside the industry are just thinking there's some short term deal because of the war um and and other things but you know the macro that is oil is coming from the new discoveries from the east is going west same thing with the refinery issues there's a whole bunch of issues that a macro that have been put in place will continue in place for the next few years without supply coming on
2: you know always yeah. uh, when we look at the yards they really have not made the type of money that they were making in the mid-2000s you know uh, Arguably, they've made very little money in the ensuing more than 15 years by now, where it has just been brutal. And you see Korea importing labor. You still see a very, you know, a very tight labor situation. Steel prices are fluctuating, you know, based on Chinese demand, and we have to watch that carefully. Uh, you know, if you're running a yard today and, and a lot of these yards were being supported by government banks and had to be restructured and and they went through, a, a you know, e- even more arduous period than we did in the tanker world. So, you know, they, hopefully, you, you know, we are a cyclical industry. Yes. And, you know, you can't say it's different, it, but it, it can be challenging and you can have some of these, uh, you know, Yards and ship owners, where you know, even on this panel, um, most of us have either invested in new vessels and or um, you know acquired them as as uh, Frontline has, and you you know you see that exposure, but you see it you know in either a consolidation way or in a a real fundamental reduced scale way, where you're not seeing. I think the, the same type of big splash that you would see in previous cycles.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I just, you know, one last question on a question we get a lot, at least from investors is because, you know, assuming everything goes fine in the world and oil demand continues to go up, you see that most of production um, and uh, demand is east and west of Suez. So there's a positive ton mile story as well over time here. So it, it's it's the supply side, but but yard capacity again, as Ted mentioned, it's down uh, quite dramatically uh, since two thousand and eight. Um, and when you can buy or uh, order a VLCC for one hundred and thirty million dollars, obviously a bit less in China, uh, they are starting to make some margin at least. Um, but what we saw last time was that you you saw, uh, you know, shifts going up to twenty four hour shifts, etc are those kinds of trends coming back or is it very true that you have a massive um workforce problem uh,
5: in in asia as well no you're exactly right the 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 old uh, the the joke that all of us are talking about is you find a welder in japan he's got to be in his 60s yeah so there is a labor force issue going forward and just this point about peak oil um even the one organization that talked about peak oil uh by 2030 it's not a cliff it doesn't come off at all for the next 10 years. So I, I you know, was just not sure. It's a good headline. Uh, but the way the world's going at this point, I mean, listen, I'm here in the States. We've got a lot of energy companies, oil companies. Uh, they're really um, looking at um, carbon capture, right, and LNG. So there's a whole bunch of issues uh, that make it look like the oil will probably, you know, two years from now, who knows how the world's going to be. But um, it's what you don't expect that's going to happen. And it's going to be a combination of things. We watch the airlines here because they're, they're subsidized. You know, they're, they're, they're leading, leading fuel. The future is biofuels. They have a spacing issue, obviously. Uh, so um, who knows what's going to happen? But I think, again, this whole issue of the next fuel is really put a cap on uh, construction. And I think it's, it's going it, to, I don't see it changing in the next two years.
0: And, you know, we are, before we head into QA from from the audience there, maybe let's talk a bit on, you know, most of you guys are spot, uh, highly spot exposed. Um, as Lois touched upon earlier as well, time charter rates, at least in the product anchor space, is pretty strong. Uh, Paolo, if we start with you, uh, how are you guys viewing, you know, taking, you know, one question we at least we I get a lot from investors is that, when rates are high, at least last winter, you saw time charter rates going through the roof as well. Um, why not take more coverage, even though you are very, very bullish on, on the long-term story? here? As you know, it, it could be a one-off. The world could turn heavily next year if, if you get the full-on recession. What's your view on, on increasing coverage?
3: I think that we will... Um, uh, let's say today and up to all 2024, we are covered by one third. So we are two-thirds on the spot. And uh, we covered the type of ships which are uh, more, let's say, not difficult, but let's say they they, they more sensitive in certain situations. For, for instance, we have a number of Andes and we covered all of them. And uh, we are keeping most of our, our MRs spot and the vlr ones spot. We have just one that we covered for one year. The idea is to enter in twenty twenty four and to increase that coverage. So certainly we will be looking uh, to improve that. But we still think that it makes a lot of sense to be to be spot for for at least this winter We a were, we were a big part of uh, of the fleet. And talking about new building, I would say our idea is is to to wait to 2024. To understand also these orders, where they are going, are we still going to see all these container ships ordered? Are we going to see still all these LNGs ordered? I mean, what what is going to happen? Because considering that yards are, let's say, they start worrying two years before delivery date. And if delivery date is 2026, uh, 2024 will be the year where you can have a game changer or not. I don't know. So I think it will be important to see what is going to happen. Say that for a moment, yes, we are bullish and we are playing this way. Uh, we hope to be right, of course. Yes.
0: Um, and, you know, anyone else uh, have a different view on, on taking coverage in terms of being more spot-oriented short-term and long-term at the moment?
1: Well, we just came up with our, you know, I think about two weeks ago, with our uh, nine-month results. And I think we mentioned there that we, within the year we have renewed uh, or got new charters on uh, 26 out of the 70 vessels. So, I mean, that, uh, and, and all of them almost uh, at significant premium from uh, their previous uh, time charter. So, we, we are, uh, I would say, 50 50 because we do a bit of, uh, or, or a significant part of profit sharing with our clients, and I'm sure others do also. So, if you take the days, we are, I would say, 60% spot, 40% uh, uh, fixed, uh, but we are not shy. Uh, but I think for all of us, uh, when you have long-term child, clients and and, and they're uh, they're offering a two or three-year employment in something that would have looked uh, very very attractive in two thousand nineteen or two thousand twenty, it's hard to, to 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 let it pass. So um, from our side, we have uh, extensively renewed, but uh, everything with a three-year horizon uh, going forward. So if there, if someone offers us uh, a very attractive rate for a year, we would accept uh, something uh, for three years that is also attractive and it, it uh, gives us visibility of earnings uh, go, going forward.
5: I agree.
4: Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I think it, it's, it's also uh, uh, important to, to note that uh, you know even though we're very rich ship owners, we're actually exposed to interest rates so to have a return on uh, on capital, uh, that uh, you know it, it kind of increases a little bit uh, you know what we need in order to to have to to you know to butter on the, on, on, on the bread. Um, and and uh, so, so, so I, I actually you know we would be very willing to 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 um, you know put uh, parts of our fleet out on time charter, but right now we remain spot um you know just looking at the fundamental picture on the proposition at least we believe lies out there in the market uh, i think the the charters uh, need to pay up a little bit more before they at least get our, our vessels.
2: yeah certainly on on the vlccs you know it seems to me that there's more room uh significantly more room for the v's to to run and to kind of you know a, as a use that term age in place and you don't have deliveries in 24, you know, I, I think that there's uh, a, a lot of, you know, you're coming from a much stronger base rate right now and you've got more potential upside because the, the it's a much tighter utilization than what we've seen.
5: Yeah, same with us. I mean, mostly we arbitrage the time charter market, although we have MRs and pools, we have half our VLCs fleet of, uh, we have 11 Bs, five or six are on the, on the spot market. You know, the idea for us was always to protect the downside. Do time charter. The, the probability of taking a, a whether it's a V or an MR one or mr two, putting it out for a year, and it coming back next year in a market that's worse than today is is, is very small. So we're comfortable with doing a shorter term time charter and doing longer term time charter. Again, us and others have done longer term time charters on vessels delivering two years from now. So that's very optimistic on the product side. I mean, it means that. You know, the, 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 the shorts have taken a portfolio approach, right? They went 10 years with playing the spot market and making tons of money off of that. Now, they've, they've maybe they had 5% on long-term charter just in case something would happen. I'm assuming from the phone calls we're all getting in from them that that 5% went to 20%, maybe 25% on a long-term basis. That's really moved the market. And so it also helps the weaker owners, <laughs> smaller guys who have mortgages, they want to put it out, they don't know, they'll, they'll take the first rate. I think it's strengthened and lifted. Or, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships, and I think that's what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, understood. And that kind of is a perfect segue over to to something else. But I think you know the gist here, at least, is that uh, most of the or pretty much all the or all the panelists there are very positive to the market and will maintain some spot exposure. But before we run into Q and A from the audience. I would like to open the CAP link uh, poll. It should be up in your screens. There should be one to three questions for the panelists as well. Uh, feel free to answer, and I'll give you all 30 seconds before we continue with the webinar.
4: trying to click but uh, I realized I, th- I,
0: don't. <laughs> I, th- I just I just saw that <laughs> panelists can't
2: vote <laughs> times the- 10 Lars put in 10 votes
0: favorable favorable
2: oh my goodness
0: <laughs> okay I think it's time to move over to the Q a session there has been coming in quite a few questions here I'll, I'll try to or here we have the poll results as well. Um, I' uh, I'm not sure if everyone can see them but for the first uh, question 85% uh, was voted for favorable uh, for the second question sorry oh, for the second question uh, meaning do you expect product anchor sector to be uh, or how the outlook is for 2024? For crude, uh, it was 81% saying favorable, and no one said negative almost. Um, Pretty much all were on neutral other than favorable for both questions. And what will outperform in 2024, crude or product? 41% was for product, 28% for crude, and the remaining 32% for both. And then the main risk to tanker shipping, 42% saying demand, as expected, a very low answer for the book, around eight percent, um, and the rest spread out pretty evenly, uh, with also forty-seven percent answering geopolitical risks, which we do have at the moment, obviously. Okay, so with that, we'll move over to the Q&A session, I, and I think this first question is probably a bit more open-ended to to uh, any of the panelists there. Um, what, uh, or so? There's a couple of questions. What is, uh, or What are we worried about that we shouldn't be worried about as investors Um, and what are we not worried about, which we should be worried about, which is probably a a good good question to any of you guys that has been in this sector a lot longer than some of these new investors in this sector. So I'll give that uh, openly uh, to anyone who would like to answer.
4: Okay. Try and have a go. Uh, this is like unknowns and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, what some are worried about that we maybe shouldn't be too worried about is uh, you know obviously if we have a like a flat out uh, COVID event in the world economy, I think we should be worried, of course. But if we have like a normal uh, you know bang like uh, 2008 uh it's not normal of course, but it's uh you know it's it's a fairly uh violent uh, Financial uh, kind of uh, uh event. then uh, we should be comforted by the fact that uh, at that time the overall tanker order book stood at 40 45 percent of the existing Fleet. now it's around five or six percent of the existing Fleet. So it means that we are not going to stay in the valley of uh, kind of uh, below Opex earnings for three years, waiting for this uh, mountain of ships being delivered. Um, what we are not worried about that we maybe should be worried about. Uh, and I think this is uh, you know we're 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 seeing at least from Asia uh, that uh, demand is uh, is keeping up uh, surprisingly well. But it's completely kind of, uh, well, it's not completely, but it's it's a bit against, uh, you know, the uh, economical development, in particular in China. Uh, I think kind of uh, that's uh, potentially some somewhere where one has to look, because it's such a big driver of uh, transportation, actually in all asset classes, that, uh, that that's uh, something to watch
0: very good point uh there could you know there could be some destocking risk there with inventories now being over a billion barrels I believe uh mm-hmm. as I've seen some report at least so that's that's a very good point then uh there's another or another couple of questions on potential market effects um, I'll shoot this to anyone but uh, let's start with Ted the Middle East crisis at the moment yeah. uh, what's the impact on the tanker market
5: actually it's uh it's um better I think it makes uh i mean if you're talking about OPEC and Saudi's cutting, it's being replaced by uh you know um, longer ton miles coming out of the the Atlantic right u s Gulf and Brazilian sites but the 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 Middle East crisis right now is localized um, if you would have told me this, is, this was thirty years ago and the u s was where it was in oil, the price would have doubled on this problem but because the u s is the biggest oil producer it really has actually gone down. Remember, uh, shipping, we're volume-driven, not price-driven. So if, say, the Saudis turn around tomorrow and open up their taps and everything goes and it goes to $60, well, the volume's better for us. If they stay where it is and we, te- we keep replacing the Middle East crude with Atlantic crude, it's fine. But the, the issue is the Suez Canal, uh, the Straits at Yemen. I mean, I don't see the Iranians getting involved in cutting things off there. Um, but the Suez Canal, you know, there's about... 2000 ships uh, a month go through, 500 are tankers. Um, it, it could, you know, I think it's unfortunately, you know, um, we're positive on the market, but we wish for other reasons, right? Yeah. You have wars and you have issues. Of course.
0: Thank you, and um, I'll give this one to to Nikos, as you have a fleet of uh, not just tankers, but you have some LNGs, etc. Um, what we've seen now recently, particularly in the LPG sector and VLGCs, is what's happening in the Panama Canal. Are is the lower transit periods uh, or lower transits through that canal impacting tankers at all, or is it just other yes, segments? Sir.
1: Yes, I I, I think uh, mainly the, the larger the larger vessels, uh, uh, many of them are taking the view that it's uh, worth uh, going around, uh, and so in pro- so this way requiring uh, significantly more uh, ton miles. Uh, we're seeing um, quite a few delays. Uh, it's costing us. I think all of you know a fortune, mainly for the LNGs to be able to, they have priority, but it's the most expensive uh, passage uh, so far in, in the history uh, that we had for, for the LNG vessels. And I'm sure for uh, Ted with his containers, is feeling the pain also with uh, the larger containers there. So it, it I think uh, it has created a, a, a small uh, dent of uh, 2 or 3% in increasing ton miles. That's our last uh, estimate we had, but every little bit counts even that uh, that delay uh, helps a very, very uh, well-balanced market as the one we're, we're having now.
5: Right. D- yes. to, just to stay on top of what Nick Captain said, I mean, the, it, he said it's a well-balanced market. If the overcapacity was 5%, these type of moves on the margin wouldn't move the market, but it's a tight market to start. And so that just goes to show you how tight the market is That when you can have these huge rates two or three days later, um, and then maybe, okay, come down, but there's this tight squeeze. There's some tremendous pockets of strength uh, in this market right now.
2: It, it starts to drive uh, trade, right? Because it, you can bring product in. I mean, if it's going to cost you, you know, the tankers at this point, we can't afford a, a $4 million. Uh That's uh, how much the freight is, right? For To buy a slot, right? So, you know, if you look at it, product can move, potentially from the far east to the west coast as opposed to from the gulf to the west coast and all of a sudden your calculus is different so it drives trade and when you back up and you kind of look at it you you, you see it from that lens
5: right. yep. and all all this pain that the charters are, are, are having pain drives the period market yep. but pain drives the period market
0: understood and this question i'll Maybe throw this one to Lars, as you, you were talking a bit about it earlier. Uh, and I know you guys in Frontline are depreciating your assets over 20 years as well. So, so um, is, you know, as you said, with 20 years instead of 25 years being the scrapping age, is there enough scrap, <laughs> scrap yard capacity uh, out there to, to take on all those ships that are turning 20 years old? Or what, what will happen to them? <laughs>
4: Well, <clears throat> first of all, it's it's they're not going to be scrapped at twenty years, but but uh, you know the useful life you could say with the the, pol- the policies that uh, our big clients are imposing um, makes them pretty efficiently to stop at least in the compliant tank market uh, at twenty years. So so, but with regards to scrapping capacity, it's uh, that's uh, actually one of the areas of expertise where I actually don't have much uh, knowledge. I must admit. Uh, there's also regulatory aspects with that as well, um, you know, with, with the Hong Kong convention and the green scrapping and so forth. Uh, there should be a huge market for recycled steel uh, for the environment. It's much better to uh, recycle it than to produce new steel uh, and transport iron ore and blah, 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 you know, the whole kind of well-to-wake uh, on, on, uh, on, on the steel side. Uh, so, so, uh, but uh, you know what, the absolute capacity is. Um, I, I don't have, um,
0: you know, a good, good call on honestly.
2: Pretty sure we'll get it sorted when we get there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, this, you know, ne- next question. I'll, I'll maybe try to throw to Paulo uh, and anyone else. Feel free to to chime in. But Paulo, uh, what what uh, what is being done in in the sector now uh, or in the industry to limit the dark fleet of what uh, you know the the questionnaire uh, labels as money hungry operators uh, running old and unsafe
5: tankers i
3: tried uh, in a meeting with uh, some oil companies uh, and i was there as uh, as chairman of intertanko and i tried to say uh, fix the intertanko fleet instead of, and you are going to be safe and you are not going to face any problem. Of course, they have been looking at me and uh, and the lawyer who was with me in that moment said, you cannot say that because this is against antitrust. So I had to shut up. But certainly, the, the, the dark fleet is a problem. Uh, the, the oil industry is very much worried about. They, they expect some very, uh, some big some big accidents. And and uh, I've been, of course, inflating more of the problems. So yes, you are at risk there. Uh, even if the cargo do not belong to them, but uh, certainly... Uh, it it is uh it has been a good for somebody who sold the ships to them uh, in terms of ship value but for us uh, yes it's taking part of a fleet part of a supply away but also the demand because the Russian demand we cannot uh, we cannot touch it so I don't think there is too much we can do uh, the only thing is to... Us to port state control in the various countries, and China start doing that uh, to check this vessel better and to start acting against them. Understood. Thank you, Paolo. And uh, Uh, if I can
4: just add, I'm sorry for uh, go ahead, go ahead, yeah, because we've been very vocal about this. I think, yes, uh, and we've actually spoken to the IMO about this a few times, and I, I think it's kind of sad. That uh, IMO, which is a UN organization, uh, you know, actually handing out the license plates for for uh, you know the tickets to trade in in the in the compliance shipping world at least, that we can't get something done with this because uh, you know luckily we haven't had you know apart from the Pablo outside the Singapore and Malaysia uh, we haven't had any major spills that we know of uh, yet, but it's only a matter of time. And uh, you know when you hear about the atrocity uh, against seafarers and so forth, uh, not getting paid, getting being left, uh, you know, with the ship somewhere, you know. Also circling back to your scrapping question, my biggest fear is that if something really efficient is being done against uh, this uh, dark fleet, which actually the most efficient thing to do would be to allow Iranians to export oil freely in the compliant market then people will just park these uh, vessels and that uh, they wouldn't even bother to scrap them to be quite honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: yep
0: understood and um one uh you know maybe one or two last questions there is, is that there was recently some news on venezuela production uh coming back uh anyone here would like to tackle the question on on what Obviously, that will take some time, um, but they do have you know, production uh, capacity, but you need to invest a bit. Um, what would increased Venezuelan oil production obviously uh, mean for ton miles and, and generally overall tanker demand in the future?
5: Well, let's see. First of all, if Venezuela keeps up with the agreement they made with the states about the open election. That seems to be a question. Yeah. Listen, I used to go to Venezuela when Navios was US steel back and forth. And this was before Chavez and things were deteriorating then. Um, I, I think you're going to get billions. Of, you're not going to get a lot of oil in the next year. So maybe a couple hundred thousand max if you're going to get it. So they're not a big mover uh, in terms of I, I think we go back to the beginning. You know, the OPEC issue is there's some African countries, Nigeria, Angola. Um, obviously, we talked about Iran. There's a whole bunch of them wanting to put more out so this is what we have to watch going forward um, i i ben as is just a, a sideshow at this point
0: mm-hmm. understood i think uh obviously there's several more questions there but we are already over time uh so with that i would like to say thank you very very much to all the panelists um for a fantastic panel and i think the overall gist gist here is that uh, pretty much all of them are very bullish and still want to have some spot exposure at the moment.
2: Yep. Heading yep. into the holiday season. Merry
1: exactly.
5: Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's my son's Bye. birthday today, so
1: he's wow. wishing you happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: birthday. That's the handsome one. Yeah.
3: He's
1: enjoying his birthday, listening to us uh, talking about shipping and. Uh, unfortunately, we were too bullish, so he needs an expensive present. So I oh. <laughs> <laughs> so have, have to go to Seven Eleven now. Okay. Well, goes Paulo, Ted, take care. Thank you, Bye. thank you, thank you. thanks,
5: Lars. Thank you. Bye. Bye. down